idea with you this morning that sort of a fascinating concept. Some of you may be familiar with it. You may have heard about it in school. And the concept is called learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. And learned helplessness is the disposition or the attitude of someone who has faced repeated, difficult, trying, taxing circumstances, and repeatedly they've not been able to overcome those circumstances. And so over time, they come to learn or they come to believe that they have no power to overcome those circumstances, and so they simply just give up. They resign to the new circumstances and come to believe that there's nothing I can do to change the circumstances in my life. They learn helplessness. So I'll give you a personal example. Um, In my 20s, I lived in Los Angeles, and when I first moved out to Los Angeles, I was just dirt broke. I was living on the floor in my sister's apartment. Um, I didn't have a car. I needed a car, but... I didn't have any money for a car. In order to get money for a car, I needed a job. In order to get a job, I needed to get a car. So it was one of those Cash-22s. So finally, I borrowed $800 from a friend, and I bought a 1986 Subaru GL that looked something like this. It was boss. It was awesome. Um, So I got this car, and I thought, okay, this is going to be fantastic because now I have a car and I can get around Los Angeles. But pretty quickly after I purchased the car, I noticed that there were a few things wrong with the car. One was that like if I drove over 45 miles per hour, um, the steering wheel would begin to vibrate like this. If I got to 55 miles per hour, I would hear a humming noise sort of emanating from all around the car. I would start to feel a vibrating sensation uh, out, uh, you know, all under my feet. Then if I got going a little more quickly, eventually what started happening was little lines of smoke or clouds of smoke would start coming out of, from the um, hood and sort of fly past me as I was driving, which was okay when I was driving quickly because then I could still see out the front window and the back window. But then if I drove slowly, the, the cloud of smoke would just swirl around and I'd be in my own personal biosphere of smog, you know, walking, you know, driving through LA. So on top of the mechanical problems, here, here was the issue though. I didn't have any money to fix any of these problems. I was helpless and felt helpless to fix these problems. Um, to add to that issue, uh, in L.A., if, you, if you're, if you're a, a minute late for your parking meter, there's somebody right there, and they're just like writing you a ticket right now, okay? And it's not like here. On the loop, tickets are like 15 bucks, 20 bucks. I mean, I've got a few right now in my dash, in my uh, glove box. So, it's, no. um, In L.A., they're like $80 or $100. And so, you know, I started getting a few of those, and so I didn't have the money to pay those, so I just... You know, I would put them in my glove box or under the seat or kind of just like I was sort of trying to deny the realities of what was happening all around. Meanwhile, the mechanical problems are getting worse. Um, I started to hear things like fall out from under the car and spin off across the street. And I would just be like, are we still driving? We're still driving. We're still moving. So um, things started to come to a head when it was time to register the vehicle. Uh, And I learned that to register the vehicle, A, I had to pay off all my parking tickets. And B, I had to fix all of the mechanical issues, right? Because smog and safety hazards. This wasn't going to happen, right? I mean, this this is thousands of dollars that had piled up over the course of time. And, you know, this is an $800 car. And not really. It was like a $200 car. I mean, it's like, 
But I was, I, I, I was learning increasingly as my circumstances got bad. I was learning that there's nothing I could do. I would literally just keep my head down. Because my registration was expired, I had to start evading law enforcement, let's just say. Every time I saw a police officer behind me through the smog of my car, I would start making a series of right-hand turns to try to avoid being detected. Um, some of you, I felt like there was a laughter of familiarity, like you've been there. Um, so I'm evading, I'm, I'm evading law enforcement. It's just getting bad. It's just getting bad. It's going from bad to worse. But I felt so powerless, I felt so helpless to change things that I really just kind of ducked my head, covered, you know, tried to lay low and deny and forget what was going on. Finally, the inevitable came. I was driving along uh, Santa Monica Boulevard and a police officer pulled me over and, you know, came up like <coughs> coughing, you know, excuse me, sir. Um, can I see your license and registration? You know, the rigmarole. And I, 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 you know, I mean, within minutes, I was just like, this is over. It, it, it's over. And he, he looked everything up. He goes, sir, you know, I'm going to have to impound this vehicle. You know, it's not properly titled. It's not properly registered. You got, you got, you got parking tickets from, you know, two years old. You got, like, this is a safety hazard, sir, not only for you, but for all of the people of Los Angeles. Like, this is a wreck. He said, I suggest you get whatever you have in the car that belongs to you, and you go find somebody and call them and have them pick you up. So I said, okay. So I start rummaging through the car seats and getting change out of the, you know, and I'm like, and I, and I just bought these floor mats for $11, and I'm like, these are my floor mats, and nobody's taking my, my floor mats, and, 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 you know, here comes the tow truck, and I'm trying to look dignified as I'm walking down Santa Monica Boulevard with my change in my hand and my floor mats like this, and I'm like <laughs> looking for a payphone to call somebody to pick me up, you know. It wasn't good, guys. It wasn't good. Here's where it ties in. To our, I, I promise this, this, this ties into the sermon. All of us have at some point in our life, in some area of our life, experienced circumstances that have gotten so bad or so difficult or so taxing or so trying or so seemingly insurmountable, either by an outside force acting upon us or by an inside force acting upon us, us sabotaging ourselves. We've all reached a point in our life where we've thought in some area of our life, I am helpless to overcome this issue. I am powerless to overcome the problem that is right before me. I cannot, no matter what, I cannot seem to work my way out of this problem. So, for some of you, it may be, you know, financially, you've gotten yourself into a valley, and you just are like, I can't, I can't dig out of it, and I have to throw up my hand, I have to resign to it. Some of you, it may be in your health, you just say, you know what, I've, I've tried, you know, I've tried and I failed, I've tried and I failed, and I, and I can't get ahead. Some of you, it's in a, a moral part of your life or a spiritual aspect of your life where you go, you know, I've, I've tried to overcome this issue so many times and it just keeps rising back up. Some of you, it might be in a relationship. It's just become so toxic and that relationship has just become so bad and the circumstances have gotten so bad that you just want to throw your hands up and say, I forget it. I can't, I can't do it, right? In some area of your life, all of us share this experience of, of arriving at a place where we feel powerless and helpless to overcome what seems to be an insurmountable, difficult circumstance. So today, we are going to explore the story of someone who is in that circumstance himself. We're looking at one of the giants of the faith today. His name is Gideon. And I love Gideon because when we meet Gideon, his circumstances are so bad 
his, his, his situation is so difficult, it's so seemingly insurmountable that he has, he has learned that he is helpless and he is powerless to overcome his situation. And so he essentially resigns to his situation. He downgrades his expectations to meet his new reality rather than try to face the negative circumstances that are around him and overcome them. And then God reached out to Gideon, as we're going to hear in this story. God reached out to him, and by his response to God's reach, Gideon begins to learn that these circumstances are not insurmountable. This situation is not something that he can't overcome. In fact, he is not helpless. In fact, he is not powerless to overcome them, but he's going to need God's help. And so, in this series, we're asking the question, if one of these heroes of the faith could tell us one thing, what would they tell us? Gideon today, if he were here today, would say, by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, God wants to help you step out of your valley and into your victory. To step out of your valley and into your victory. To step out of your complacency because you've just hit the wall and into your calling. To step out of the tragedy, whatever it is that you've experienced, and into the triumph that he has for you. And I'm going to tell you the whole story, and by the end, you're going to believe me about this statement. We're, we're exploring this really beautiful idea in this series. Uh, we have a, a, an anchor verse that has sort of been the verse that we've been looking at the whole time, and it's from Hebrews chapter 12. And here's what it says. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every snare, every sin that, that captures us, that traps us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What the scripture is saying is there are these giants of the faith. They've been here. They've been where you've been. They've experienced the temptations and the struggles and the difficulties and the trials that you've experienced. They have conquered kingdoms. They've shut the mouths of lions. They've quenched the fury of the flames. They've run their race. And now they're this cloud of witnesses cheering us on, looking on and saying, you can do it. And we are looking at their lives and saying, what's the one thing, if they could come out of the cloud of witnesses and tell us one thing, what is it? And Gideon would just say, step out of your valley by the power of God and into your victory. So let me give you some backstory on Gideon. When we meet him, his circumstances are lousy. He's, he's, living, he's living at his parents' house. He's working for his dad. His dad is a farmer. And there's trouble on the farm because they are surrounded by a tribe called the Midianites. And here's how the scripture describes the circumstances that they're in. It says, because the power of Midian was so oppressive... The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. In other words, the Israelites were retreating from their homes and hiding out in caves. This is how bad things were. It says whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites invaded the country. They ruined the crops, and they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. In other words, when Gideon and, and, and his family would try to uh, plant their crop, the Midianites would come in and destroy it. Every time they tried to plant, the Midianites would come in and destroy it. Every time they raised, raised a sheep, the Midianites would come and destroy it. Every time they tried to raise some cattle, the Midianites would come and destroy it. Every time they tried to step forward in life, they got pushed back. Every time they tried to advance, they got knocked down. Uh, it said they invaded the land, the Midianites, to ravage it. 
no matter what they did, no matter how hard they tried, no matter how many steps they took, they would always get beaten back down. And so they started retreating. They learned helplessness. They learned to surrender. They learned to resign to the negative circumstances that were around them. They learned that they couldn't do anything about it, and so they gave up in despair. In fact, when we meet Gideon, this is so fascinating, it says that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So I want you to get a picture of what this is. He's preparing wheat, and he's in a wine press. And a wine press in the first century looks like this. It's literally a hole in the ground. Gideon, when we meet Gideon, is down in the hole in the ground, preparing the wheat, looking around, trying to make sure that no Midianites can see it because he doesn't want the Midianites to come and take his wheat. This is how bad things were. He was hiding in a hole in the ground because he was afraid of the circumstances. He had resigned to the fact, I can't do anything about these Midianites. I can't do anything. I'm powerless. I'm helpless to overcome these. So I'm hiding out in a hole trying to just get, get my work done, Right? This is when God shows up. In his darkest moment, in his most frail, vulnerable, frightened moment of his life. And what the scripture says is that an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. And here's what the angel said. The angel said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Now there's so much wrong with this sentence. So much. Gideon's like, excuse me, did you say mighty warrior? Because actually I'm a cowardly farmer right now in a hole hiding from people. The mighty warrior tag doesn't really describe me. That's not where I am. That's not who I am. You've got the wrong guy, right? But here's the thing. God not only sees where you are, not only sees where you've been, but he sees the future that he designed for you. He sees the future that he made for you before you were born. He sees the future that he's called you to. He's, in, in Ephesians, it says this. I don't have this on your screen, but listen. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance, beforehand, that we should walk in them. God saw not just where Gideon was, but where he had Gideon going. So when he said mighty warrior, God sees the past, the the present, and the future all at once. He's outside of time. So he's not looking at circumstances going, huh, I wonder what's going to happen here, right? He sees Gideon the whole way. And what he sees when he's looking at this cowardly farmer hiding in a hole, he sees a mighty warrior. Some of you guys right now are in circumstances that make you feel like you are helpless and powerless in, in that particular area of your life. And God is saying to you, I don't see you that way. I see you differently than that because you were made in my image. I talked about this last week. You're made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. I see you differently than the way you see yourself. I see you in the future that I've built for you. And I need you to come along and see yourself that way also. So the first thing was this mighty warrior thing. The second thing, it said, in the strength that you have, go and save Israel. And Gideon's saying, strength that I have? I don't have any strength. In fact, here's how he responds, and I love his response. Pardon me. Pardon me, angel, uh, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the weakest in my clan. I'm the weakest guy in my family. My family's the weakest guy in our clan. Our clan's the weakest clan in the tribe. 
our clan, our tribe's the weakest tribe in Israel. You, you definitely have the wrong guy here, right? I'm like the bottom guy on the totem pole. I'm not the guy you need, right? And what I love about God, because this happens throughout the scripture, it, it happened to Moses, it happens all, it happened to Paul, it happens over and over and over. Whenever, God, whenever people in the scripture say, I can't do it, like I don't have the power, God doesn't say like, oh, come on, you're okay. Yeah, you, yeah, you do. You're, come on. He doesn't, try to, he doesn't try to puff you up. He doesn't try to hype you. He doesn't try to say, come on, Pookie, just pucker up. You can do it. He says, I don't care what power you have because here's what he says. He says, the Lord answered, I will be with you. He said, I'm, I'm not asking about your power. I'm not asking about your strength, your ability. Like that's, okay, yeah, you might be weak. You might, in Moses' case, you might not speak well, right? Whatever your ailment is, whatever your problem is, he's not saying, well, you need to be really great before I can use you. He's going, look, your stuff doesn't bother me because you're a vessel for what I'm doing. You're a vessel in my hands. I'm God, and, and, and you're my creature, and I'm going to work in you, I'm going to work on you, and I'm going to work through you. So what I need for you to do, I don't need your power, I need your willingness. I need you to say yes to let me do the work inside of you so that you can do the work that I've called you to do. That's what he's saying. In other words, God is less concerned with your ability than he is with your availability. What he's asking for you to do in these situations is to say, Okay, God, yes. Yes, I will do it. Uh, Tyler mentioned our, 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 our young guys, our, our teenagers. Um, cool to see some of these teenagers greeting this morning. That was so awesome, you guys. Um, we, we've developed this program where some of the guys in the church are coming and helping set up, and then the teenagers are coming, and then the older guys are helping to lead and disciple and mentor these younger guys. And, you know, we, we thought we'd trot this out and see how it goes. And it's been amazing because these guys are showing up and, you know, they're not, you, you know, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a, a scholar on, you know, discipleship and mentoring. You literally have to show up and be willing to hang out with some guys, some young guys. And I don't know if you saw this, but last Sunday, and I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to embarrass him. But there were, this front row was filled with teenagers and they had their t-shirts on because they had been helping set up. And um, the, the worship band, Ernest and the worship band were, were up here just just rocking and, and singing. And there was this like 14-year-old kid in the front row. And he was like, just, you could just feel it. Like he was so excited. He had helped out that Sunday. And he's up here and, and pretty soon he just starts like break dancing. He's just like, like, like very subtly in the front row. He's like popping and locking. He's just like, and he's doing the robot. And I'm over here like, is that kid doing the robot in the front row? That's awesome. And, but it's because some guys showed up and, and showed some interest in this kid. Right? And they said, hey, you know, we're here for you. We, we don't know all the answers. We don't know how to fix everything. We don't have like a magic bullet. We're not, we don't have any magic potion. But we're going to show up and we're going to say, hey, how can we help? How can we serve you? And this kid, I wish I had a video camera, man, because it would be, I would use it to promote that program because the kid is just breaking, breaking down. But that's what God is saying to us in this passage. He's saying, I'm not really that concerned about your ability. I, I want you to, you know, I want to help you and develop your ability. But really, it's going to be my power that's going to show up in you. So Gideon and the angel are having this conversation. And the angel then makes the strange request of Gideon. And here's what he says. He says, Gideon, I want you to tear down your father's altar to Baal. And I want you to cut down the Asherah pole beside it. And then I want you to build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God 
on the top of this height. Now, Baal and Asherah were these Canaanite gods that the Israelites, every once in a while, they, would, they were supposed to be worshiping the Lord God, the one true Lord God, but every once in a while, they would sort of slip into worshiping these Canaanite demigods, right? And so they had this Baal, and they had this Asherah pole. She was sort of a fertility goddess, and they would, would erect these statues, and they would get distracted from worshiping God, and they would start worshiping these other gods. And uh, one of the problems, among many, that were associated with this is that worshiping these gods was also associated with practices like um, child sacrifice and, and, and sacred prostitution. Uh, and, and so there was, there was just all of this really troubling behavior connected with worshiping Baal and Asherah, and it really distracted the people. And if you read, read Judges, read Judges, you guys, because this is all from that book, but this keeps happening. The Israelites, God saves them, delivers them, helps them. They start, thank you, God, thank you, God. And then they start going, oh, look at all the shiny things around here. And they start, they start getting distracted. So the angel is saying to Gideon, Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to clear the distractions. I want you to knock out the idols. I want you to take out all of the stuff that doesn't honor me, doesn't bring me glory, doesn't bring me praise. I want you to get rid of it. I want you to clear it out. And I want you to focus on me. And the scripture says, so, they, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. He went in that night. It says he, I, I can't give you all the details of this story, but it's just amazing. He actually sneaks in at night because he's still kind of afraid. He takes his guys at night and says, come on, let's go destroy this. And just don't, don't tell anybody. So he go, they go knock it down and they sacrifice. And then when the, the people of the town come up, wake up the next morning, they're like, where's, the, where's, the, where's Baal and Asherah? Where's, you know, and they find out it was Gideon. They want to kill him, right? I mean, they're just totally ticked off at him. But here's what Gideon learned in this moment, and this is what he would share with us. He would say that if you're going to win, you're going to have to go all in. This is what God is saying. If you're going to win, if you're going to come out of that valley and into the victory, you cannot half step. You cannot, you can't like, bear, you can't like test the waters. Eventually, you got to dive in. You got to take the full step and you got to commit. And you got to clear out the distractions, whatever they are, whatever's trapping you, whatever's holding you back, whatever's keeping you from going all in with God, you got to clear that out and get rid of that out of your life and let go of that. You know, like in a relationship, a relationship doesn't work if somebody is halfway in the relationship. Actually, a relationship doesn't work if a person is 99% in the relationship. If you're 1% out of the relationship, relationship's not going to work. It's not going to work. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you need to be willing to give up mom, dad, brother, sister, kids, self, your own life, everything. You've got to come all in. I want all of you. I want soul, mind, body, spirit. I want all of you. I'm going to pour all of myself out for you, and I want all of you to come to me. And that's what God is saying to Gideon in this. He's like, I need you to go all in. Clear out the distractions. We used to have a record when I was a kid. We used to, the long play records. Long play records are these like vinyl discs um, that they used to put on this thing and there was a needle and it would spin and music and stuff would come out. It's weird. But um, we had this record and it had this story. And the story was like of this monkey who lived in the zoo. And this monkey was in the zoo and he wanted to get out of the zoo. He was trapped in a cage. And somebody inadvertently left the door open to the cage. I, I was terrified by this story when I was a kid. My sister, Sharinda, would play it over and over and over and, and freak me out. So, um, but the monkey wanted to get out of the cage. So somebody left the door open. So the monkey gets out of the cage, and he's like escaping from the zoo. And then suddenly, he remembers, there's this shiny red apple inside of the cage. I just want to go get my shiny red apple, and then I'm going to escape to freedom. 
And so he goes back to the cage and he reaches in the bars of the cage and he grabs the shiny red apple. But the problem is with the shiny red apple in his hand, he can't get his arm back through the bars of the cage because his hand now is too big if he's holding on to the apple. If he lets go of the apple, he can just he can slide his arm out. But he's holding on to the apple and he can't get his arm out of the bars. And in the story, the zookeeper starts coming. And the monkey like so desperately wants to be free, but he can't let go of this apple. And so he's bound himself. He's trapped himself because he won't let go of this apple. He gives up his freedom for an apple. And the zookeeper comes and scoops him up, put him back, puts him back in the cage. The scary part was like in the record, the monkey would be screaming like, ah, ah, ah. And I was like, ah. <laughs> um, But we do this, right? We want freedom. We want to go where God wants us to go. We want the life that God wants us to have. We want to be free. But we want to hold on to stuff that keeps us trapped. We want to hold on to Baal and Asherah. We want to hold on to bitterness and lust and dishonesty or, uh, you know, anger or whatever it is. We want unforgiveness. We want to hold on to it. And we, and we, and we can't figure out why we're stuck. Paul said, I die daily. You sacrifice it daily. You've got to give it up. You know, it's not like you say, well, I tried to give that up once. Well, you've got to give it up again. <laughs> you know, try again. Let go again. And let God free you. You've got to go, he said, all in. I made that rhyme for you so that you could remember that the rest of the week. In order to win, go all in. So Gideon then, you know, he, he goes all in. Uh, he's made himself available. And God says, look, I want you to go and I want you to gather up a bunch of men uh, and get all of the tribesmen that you can and I want you to fight the Midianites. So Gideon puts out this call and he gets 32,000 guys to show up for this battle, which is pretty good. 32,000 people is a, you know, that's a pretty good sized group. Uh, the problem is that the Midianites were 135,000. So it's still kind of a disparity, right? But Gideon's like, okay, well, you know, if, if 35, 32,000, I mean, there's a, there's a chance, right? There's a, there's a, there's a chance, right? Uh, and, and what he really wants, though, is because he's worried, he's anxious, he's afraid. He puts out all this stuff. I can't even do the details, but he puts out this fleece. This God, show me if it's true. Show me if it isn't true. Make the fleece wet. Make the fleece dry. He's doing all this stuff. Show me a sign. Test this, test this. And what he really wants is for God to say, Gideon, here's what, you're, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to round up 100,000 more guys. I'm going to send them over to you, and then you guys can fight the, the Midianites. That's what he wants, right? Here's what God says to him. The Lord said to Gideon, Gideon, you have too many men. Wait a second, Lord. I have 32,000. They have 135,000. You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands, or you guys are going to boast against me, and you're going to say, my own strength has saved me. So if 32,000 of you guys beat 135,000, what's going to happen is you're going to go, we did it. It was us. We did it. Awesome us. We're so great. Man, we are the champions. We're just fantastic. And God's saying, look, I can't do that. Because if, 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 if you have 32,000, that's too many. So he says, here's what I want you to do. Go tell your men, hey, guys, if any of you guys are scared of fighting 135,000 well-armed, trained swordsmen, then you can go home and you don't have to fight. Gideon's like, you want me to say that? Yes. So Gideon says to the guys, hey, if you're afraid, um, you can go home. 22,000 guys leave. They're like, oh, great. See you later. Thank you. 
at least 10,000 guys. And Gideon's like, God, I mean, 10,000 against 135,000. Come on. I mean, come on, God. And God says, um, Gideon, there's still too many guys. There's still too many men. Gideon's like, oh, my Lord. And the next moment, God essentially sends 9,700 more men away, leaving Gideon with a grand whopping total of 300 soldiers. 300 versus 135,000. 300 versus 135,000 because God wanted them to know that it was going to be him delivering. You see, what we want is security. We want risk aversion. We want comfort. We want God to work in our life, but we don't want to put ourselves in circumstances in which God needs to work in our life. You know what I'm saying? God, work in my life, but like, don't put me in any situation that would require that you would intervene in my life, right? I, 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 want, I want things to be manageable with my own strength. I want things to just like be okay and, and that I know that I can do it. I don't want to be in a situation where I've got to reach beyond my grasp. I don't want to be in a situation where I could blow it. I don't want to be in a situation where I could fail. I, I, I just, I'm like scared of that. And God is saying to, to Gideon, to us, if you want to experience extraordinary victories, you have to accept extraordinary challenges. You're going to have to, if you really want God to work in your life, if you want God to show up in your life, that means you're going to have to reach beyond your grasp. That means you're going to have to say yes to some things that you're afraid to say yes to. That means that you're going to have to take some steps in your life, make some commitments in your life that you don't know that you can accomplish. You don't know if you can do it and that you're going to have to rely on God to make it happen. That's the only way God can work in your life is if you do something that requires God to work in your life. I, I, for me, being a pastor, I'm reaching beyond my, I'm, I'm reaching, I'm grasping beyond my reach or I'm reaching beyond my grasp. I, I, I can't do this on my own. My wife will tell you. My mom will tell you. I, I'll tell you. I can't do it. I cannot do it. I have to rely upon God. I mean, I, you know, you've heard the story of us planting the church. I was terrified. I was up sweating at night. I was tossing and turning. My wife had way more faith than I did. She's like, Brent, you know, God's with you. It's his thing. I'm like, yeah, but how, who's going to greet? And what about the, you know, trailer? And who's going to put the speakers on? What am I going to say, you know? Um, it, you know, to look, to look in the eyes, we, we lost somebody in our congregation this week, a young woman, um, Diamond Davis, was killed in a car accident. To, to speak with her husband this week and to try to bring comfort and peace to him when his 35-year-old wife with two kids died in a car accident, I can't do that. I can't do it. I have, God has to do that. God has to do that in me. He has, to, he has to help me with that. To come up here and preach his word, I can't do this. I can't do it. This is, I'm, 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 I'm reaching beyond my grasp. God is saying to every single one of us, when I'm, when I'm sitting with a couple whose relationship is blowing up, you know, what am I going to say? Come on, guys, just get along. You can do it. It's okay. No, God's got to intervene. God's got to intervene in my life. He's got to intervene in their relationship. That's all there is. It's God. And God is saying to some of us today, hey, I want to work in your life, but I'm going to need you to take some steps. I need, I need you to be available. I need you to go all in. I need you to reach beyond your grasp. I need you to try and trust me and do some stuff and make some commitments that you don't know if you can make. You don't know if you can actually succeed. And that's what I'm calling you to do. 
So the battle is a classic battle in the, the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Many of you have heard the, the battle of Gideon. So what happens is there's 135,000 Midianites in the valley. And uh, Gideon and his 300 guys come at night. And they surround the valley. And they're up on this hill. And they've all got torches with fire. And they've all got these clay jars that are covering the torches. And some of them have trumpets. And what Gideon tells them to do is, we're going to surround the enemy camp, and it's at night, and we're going to bash these clay jars, and we're going to start waving these torches, and we're going to blow the trumpets, and we're going to say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And that's what they do. And they come around, and they bash the, the jars, and they're waving the torches, and they're saying, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the scripture says that the Midianites, you know, they wake up out of a dead sleep, and they look up, and there's just torches and trumpets and yelling and screaming and they freak out they think they're being invaded by a massive army they wake up you know they grab their swords and they start fighting and thrashing about in the scripture the scripture says that they ended up slaughtering each other in this valley and the ones that were left took off running and not a single one of Gideon's guys was injured because God said look I want to do this for you I want you to show up I want you to go all in I want you to reach beyond your grasp, and then I want to show you what I can do in you, to you, and through you, if you will let me do that. This was the greatest day in, in Gideon's life. He went from in a, being in a hole, hiding in a hole, to standing on a hilltop, waving a torch, and saying, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, a cowardly farmer to a mighty warrior, because he showed up, made himself available, he went all in, and he reached beyond his grasp. And he's saying to us today, my story can be your story. Whatever that circumstance is in your life that you're struggling with, that you feel like helpless to overcome, I can, if you'll show up, if you'll reveal that, if you'll just show up, come all in with me, I will show you what I can do with you. Because I've prepared good works in advance for you. And I want you to walk in those. I want you to step out into those. So today I'm going to close with this. I don't have action points for you. I don't have like, okay, do these steps today. What I have are some questions, and I want you to think about them yourself. They're in your, in your bulletin, in your uh, sermon notes, and you can write down the answer um, for yourself, or you can just chew on it all, all day today. Over lunch, or have your spouse fill it out, or your friend. And here are the questions that I want to ask. Number one, in what areas of your life have you resigned to your circumstances rather than risen to your calling? What areas of your life have you just said, you know what, that part I can't, I can't, I can't fix. I can't, I give up. I can't do it. What part of your life is God saying, hey, you're a mighty warrior, and you're like, no, actually, I'm a cowardly farmer, you know? Where have you resigned to circumstances in, instead of stepping into your calling? The second question is this. What is holding you back from going all in with God? What is, what is the thing or things that are keeping you from saying, yes, Lord, I'm yours. Christ, I belong to you. I'm going all in with you. What's, what are the things that are holding you back? Write those down. You might find that it's a shiny red apple that's keeping you from your freedom. God is saying, I want you to go all in. I used to have a wrestling coach, Coach Jeffries, and he would be like, I love, I, this phrase rings in my ears to this day. What are you saving it for? That's what he would yell at us. What are you saving it for? Leave it on the mat, man. Go all in. What are, you say, what are you holding back for? Go all in. What is holding you back from going all in with God? And number three, 
Where do you need to reach beyond your grasp? What area of your life are you staying in the safety zone, in the comfort zone, where you're going, I can't, I can't actually invite you into that part of my life because that would require me to do something or say something or act in a certain way that's just beyond me and I'm, I'm too scared of that. Where is God calling you to say, hey, try this, go for this, and just see if I won't show up? Where does he want you to reach beyond your grasp? Today, I just want to invite all of you to answer these questions in your own life. Our whole church, everything that we do here at U City Family Church is designed to help you take the next step on your spiritual journey. We say it over and over again. We want you to discover your purpose. You know, we're having that uh, workshop today at noon. I mean, just we want to create an environment where all of us, me included, are just constantly reaching just a little further, just going a little further. Like, God, we want to go a little deeper in you. We want to explore you a little bit, bit more. We want, we want you to show us a little bit more of yourself. And he's saying, come on, come on, come on, keep coming. I got you. Just keep coming. Keep stepping towards me. Don't try to sidestep. Don't try to evade. Just keep coming. So today, I just invite you to do that. If it's a commitment to Christ, make the commitment to Christ today. Write it down in your connection card. Put it in the basket. We'll send you a book. We'll send you a letter. One of our leaders will call you and say, hey, how can we help you? You know, if it's baptism, you haven't been baptized, let us know. You want to take that step? Go for it. If, you, if it's a life group, if it's dream team, whatever it is, finding a place to serve, running a 5K, whatever it is, take that step. Take that step. Go all in with God. Reach beyond your grasp. Let's all pray.